You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. years ago, I was facing a massive crisis in my personal life, in my personal ministry. And as I've once heard a life coach, he says, he says um, when, you, when you succeed, you party, but when you fail, you ponder. And I was pondering deeply. And every book I picked up for pastors in that situation had at least one, sometimes two or three chapters with titles like this. When God feels distant. When God feels absent. In that situation, I was really, really blessed. He never did. At every point in that process, as difficult a season as it was personally, it was like the Lord was right there walking it through with me with Lisa and our whole family. And I never felt like Naomi did in our first reading today from the book of Ruth when she said, It is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. But many of us, probably all of us at some point, at some season of our lives, feel like that. We feel that way when we get an unexpected diagnosis, or more often a loved one does. We watch someone we love very much suffer when things that we were certain we were doing in the will of God collapse and fail. We feel that our connection with God is tenuous. It's such a common experience for people of faith that John of the Cross uh, a monk from Spain called it the dark night of the soul and lots and lots of people who have no other connection to Catholicism know that phrase (laughs) it's difficult to go through seasons like that but if you want to know how common it is turn to the scriptures themselves Fully a third of the book of Psalms is David lamenting and pouring out his difficulties before God. Here's scriptures like this. Psalm 6, 2 and 3. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. But, but you, O Lord, how long? How long will I feel like this? Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Or Psalm 90. Return, O Lord. How long? How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. 
Hear that lament. How long? How long? How long will this feeling go on? Or of course, the one that we we speak responsibly here on Monday Thursday as we strip the altar, the, the psalm that Jesus quoted from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalm continues, Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. But that's not, that's not where the psalm ends. It is where the psalm begins. And Scripture is... I, I'm convinced that a lot of the reason why we don't read our Bibles is that they are way too realistic. It's easier to read a Hallmark card about God and it makes us feel fuzzy and good than the scriptures which will bring us face to face with the real pain of being a follower of God. Because as, as raw and real as these emotions are, the psalm turns after the first two verses. And right away the psalmist says, after saying, he cries by day but finds no rest, and God does not answer, he goes on and says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. I can't help but wonder as I read the whole of Psalm 22, which goes on a good long distance after that, Jesus, in saying those words, didn't want us to go back and reckon with the whole of the psalm, which begins in lament but ends in raucous joy and the vindication of the prayer. See, our experience with spiritual darkness is indeed, if not universal, merely so. But it teaches us things teaches us, most importantly of all, to trust God when we can't see Him at work or feel His presence. It teaches us real faith. It's easy to follow God when I feel like I'm in the flow with His grace or when things are turning out as I think that He, of course, would want them to. But to trust God when I don't see His hand at work to focus on the promises of the gospel, trusting, trusting that God is at work when I cannot see Him. Trusting in that until I can once again see Him and feel Him and hear His promises in a way that my spirit rejoices again. To learn to trust God's heart when I cannot see His hands. That's probably the most important lesson we learn. The lesson of perseverance in faith. But there's also something else it gives us. Those seasons tenderize our spirit. They teach us empathy for people who are suffering. 
When I took a preaching class a long time ago on preaching for funerals, a required textbook was don't sing, hand, don't sing songs to a heavy heart. To know what it's like and to accompany someone in walking through the valley of the shadow of death. To be God's servant in that place and time for someone else. We are better prepared for that season when we have walked through the same desolation ourselves. Because the truth is, God does play the long game. God is faithful. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And the seeming tragedy facing Naomi and Ruth in today's reading Well, you're going to figure it out by the end of the book that God's already at work. But later on, as Matthew's Gospel, the first Gospel of the New Testament begins, we also see God at work in these circumstances. Gospel of Matthew begins... Jesus, the, story, the, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham... In this strange situation from the period of the judges, Ruth is identified as Jesus' forebearer. This is significant. There's only a couple of women listed in a culture that was primarily interested in how it went from father to son. Ruth is grabbed out as an example of faith, connecting Jesus through to David and backward to Abraham. Now, if Jesus is the son of David, that means that he is the king of Israel and the fulfillment of the prophecy that the reign of David's descendants will, reign, will never end. That's in 2 Samuel 7.16. If Jesus is the son of Abraham, he is the fulfillment of the covenant made with Abraham in Genesis 15. Covenant where God fulfills both halves of the agreement. For he knows that Abraham and Abraham's descendants will fail. God fulfills his promises. Doing so not slowly, but in the perfect timing that all His purposes and all His promises might in the end be fulfilled. And someone who learned this lesson well and is a good example for us of faith is William Wilberforce. If you don't know who that is, and it's a name a lot of people have kind of forgotten, William Wilberforce was probably the single most important person in seeing slavery abolished in the British Empire. powerful story of how he accomplished that is told in the movie Amazing Grace, which we will probably show at one of our dinner and a movies, not this month. This is Luther. He was deeply, deeply converted to an evangelical faith somewhere in late 1784, early 1785. 
His spiritual director became his former pastor as a young man, as a, as a boy actually, John Newton, who wrote for us the hymn Amazing Grace. Himself, a former slave trader, who once he had come to Christ, worked tirelessly to abolish the institution he had once upheld and profited from. Wilberforce got elected to the House of Commons and he fought tirelessly, introduced legislation after legislation after legislation to abolish the East Indian slave trade and all of them went down in defeat. Deeply discouraged one night in the early 1790s after another defeat in the 10-year battle he had already waged, he opened his Bible and found in there a small piece of paper given to him by the late John Wesley, the great evangelist. Wilberforce read it. And here's what Wesley wrote to him. He said, Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of His might. Though God's hand was not yet apparent, Wilberforce decided to trust God's heart and the conviction he was under that this was his calling. And he continued his crusade against slavery. Seventeen years later, 27 years of labor, on May 1st, 1807, the Lord showed his faithfulness and that indeed Wilberforce was his chosen instrument for the purpose of abolishing slavery. By a vote of 283 to 16, the House of Commons passed a bill to abolish the East Indian slave trade. But Wilberforce was not done because while that bill abolished the slave trade, it did not abolish slavery for those who were already slaves within the empire. So he continued to labor on until 1833. Forty-three years of labor to finally see slavery abolished throughout the empire. And three days after this was secured, Secure in his faith and in the faithfulness of the Lord, he died. When, when we cannot see God's hands, when we are in a dark night of the soul, when we feel like the Lord's hand has gone out against us or against the people we love, we look to the cross to know the heart of God. And we trust his heart to love and at any cost to himself to save us. Will you join me for a word of prayer?
Blessed God, we give you thanks and praise for the many ways you have acted throughout history to bring your purposes to fruition. From the moment from the moment that we lost the garden through our willfulness, you began to pronounce your restoration. You brought it to completion in Jesus Christ. And now, now, Lord, you work in and through us. As we prayed at the beginning of our service, continue to work through us for the care and redemption of all that you have made. And teach us, Lord, when we are in a dry season, when we wish for a drink from the cool well of your spirit, but feel like we must labor on, when we cannot see your work, teach us to trust your heart and know that you are working out all things for good for us who love you and are called according to your purpose. We ask this through the name of him who shows us your heart for all eternity, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. My vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that Thou art. Be Thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence, my light.